Hi, kitty kids, and thank you for downloading episode 26 of Scoring at the Movies. For almost a year, we've been watching sporty pictures, mostly from our childhood, and spoiling them to death. Space Jam will also be spoiled to death. I'm the obscenely wealthy minor league baseball player who believes he can fly. Ryan Ellis. And here's the Monstar, who makes movies in his downtime, and that has nothing to do with his gambling addiction. Nothing, nothing, nothing to do with his gambling problem. Zero. Chris Gregorio. Thanks, Ryan. And I wanted to thank you for signing my bat bag the other day. It'll mean a lot to my cats. And one day, I really do hope to return to the podcasting game if the commissioner lets me back in. One day. But for now, I feel like I've accomplished all I need to accomplish. And I'm going to try my skills elsewhere. I'm sure you know what I'm talking about, but maybe some of the listeners don't. I didn't hear this until years after Michael Jordan had retired from the NBA out of nowhere, right before the season started, and then came back maybe two years later. In the meantime, one. Houston Rockets, was it only one? He was out for one year. So the year he came back, I guess they didn't win because I know Houston won twice. But he was right. back, okay, he wasn't fully ready to be back into his normal self, because they won three more after that. They did. But then the whole controversy at the time was, why would Michael Jordan, at the height of his career, leave professional basketball to go play minor league baseball? And then people started talking, I only heard this years later, about how he had a gambling problem, a serious gambling problem, yeah. and the league said, you need to go away for a while, so that was the excuse. Yeah, the conspiracy theory is that David Stern told him, listen, we don't want to suspend you because you're the biggest thing we've got going, we don't want to besmirch biggest the league. Biggest thing any sport had going, yeah. maybe ever. So we don't want to suspend you for gambling. They had some pretty damning evidence, apparently, that he was gambling on NBA games and probably his own games. So he was Pete Rose. He was Pete Rosing it. And so they said, listen, you go away from a year. It's like a quote unquote non-suspension and you can use whatever excuse you want. Aside from the evidence that they have that he was actually doing this betting, comments he made during his retirement press conference, he was asked, will you ever come back to basketball? And he said, you know, one day if I feel the desire and blah, blah, blah. And then he finished it by saying, and if David Stern lets me back... And David Stern had not been mentioned in any other questions. Pretty like, damning. Out of the blue, like you just throw David Stern will let me back in. Why wouldn't he let you back in? Players retire and come out of retirement all the time. Mm-hmm. Not in the way that he did, like you said, at the height of his career and just sort of out of the blue. But we see it in sports all the time. So people latched onto that and said, well, okay, so Stern must have said, you got to get yourself gone for a while. And did you hear that back then? Because I never did until many years later. I didn't pay enough attention to sports in that way back then. It was only when I was looking into Michael Jordan's interesting history as an adult that I found that out. But yeah, Did you notice him as a kid as well, talking about how he wants to play for North Carolina? Maybe the kid version of Michael Jordan, the real Michael Jordan, as a 10-year-old wanted to. But he also mentions, I want to play baseball too. Yeah. Maybe he also said that to his father, but that seems like a crock, the baseball thing at least he played baseball i think he was a pitcher though when when he was a kid i like that they sprinkled that in at the beginning of space Mm. jam just to lay those little seeds there's a thing on espn not long ago that talked about how i think it was terry francona actually who was a minor league manager now he's of course been a major league manager for so long he was with the phillies the red Sox, of course when they won world series and now the cleveland indians the cleveland redacteds (laughs) but he was his manager and there's an article on espn talking about how michael had potential to be a really good ball player no shit should we swear in the kids podcast this is a kids movie as often as possible yes we always swear almost he was the best athlete of the nba in his generation right and any generation i think 
But LeBron yeah. is making that comparison, but I think it's still Michael Jordan. I don't think people would argue that too savagely. It's one of those situations. It's like a Wayne Gretzky, Bobby Orr type of argument that you can probably make a case for three to five guys in the history of the NBA as being the best ever. Michael might be the best ever and the best athlete ever. You look at his freakish leaping ability. You have that level of athleticism and hand-eye coordination. You're going to have a shot at being very, very good at any sport, including baseball. Good golfer also. There's golf, baseball, and basketball, and there's one movie. And lots of gambling. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think somebody said he made $900,000 off Michael Jordan in like a weekend betting on golf, of all things. What gets him into the hole, the golf hole, and into Toon... They don't call it Toontown like in Roger Rabbit, but anyway, where all the tunes are, is that he makes a bet. And at the end, he has to up the stakes against Swackhammer, and it's almost like Fred Flintstone. Bet, 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 bet. Yeah. You can kind of see the vein throbbing in Michael Jordan's <laughs> temple when he's agreeing, no, it's a good bet. we got to make the bet. Fuck off, Bugs Bunny. I'm making the bet. It's a good bet. What do you mean? <laughs> Don't worry His about real it. favorite sport is gambling. And by the way, my nut show, movie really like Mike. This movie adores this man so much, it really does gloss over, well, the thing we're talking about right now is gambling... He must have had a gambling problem. Even if we're wrong about this whole conspiracy theory, the fact that it's even part of the movie suggests to me that he's a gambler, maybe a bit of a problem that way. Well, I don't think it was ever disputed that he is a gambler. How much of a problem was it, and what did he mm. gamble on is more the question. But they just show so many... And he was an incredible athlete, but they show so many highlights of him being great at basketball, and just the movie worships him. Yeah. It's him as an NBA player against these monsters who have NBA talent inside of them, five of them, and yeah. yet somehow his team with all these awful little... Not awful, I guess, but Bugs Bunny and Lola Bunny and whatnot. How do they even keep it within 50 points? But Because he's Michael Jordan. That's why. It's also a cartoon. You know the genesis of how this movie came to actually exist? Apparently it was commercials that were made with him and Bugs Bunny playing Marvin the Martian and exactly. a henchman. I didn't see those at the time. I read about that. I saw those at the time. What I didn't know is the reason that it went from being this commercial idea to an actual movie is because Michael Jordan's agent, a light went off, and he's like, oh, there's potential here to really build this out. So it was... Michael Jordan's own camp that was the driving force of this becoming a movie. So it's no surprise that let's all idolize Michael Jordan as the underlying theme of it. You're absolutely right. It's like a Michael Jordan masturbation fantasy through most of this movie. Credit to Jordan himself that he was cool with the movie essentially poking fun at how bad he was as a professional baseball player. He strikes out with the catcher telling him what the pitches are and what's coming. It was a clever device to use when developing the movie to pick up on the fact that he stepped away from the game for whatever reason. The Mm -hmm. fact that he was gone for a year and using that as sort of the whole plot device to him being on the good guy's side and not having his abilities stolen... I thought that was a little bit of a clever sure. idea as well. And he really was playing for the Birmingham Barons, the White Sox yes. minor league team at the time. That's right. So that's all based on reality. From what I recall, anyway, he was supposed to have been a really awesome teammate to have. Imagine if you were a minor league baseball player who's just grinding it out, trying to make it to the bigs. A lot of these guys... Never will. Never will, right. And they know that. Most of them never will. They're going to try for their shot anyway. And you have this super mega star. Most famous person in the world, probably. Yeah, uber rich, super famous, uber successful in his sport. And he just gets parachuted into your team. And I'm sure the organization drooled over him in the way that Wayne Knight does in this movie. Yeah. Right? Anything you want, Mike, anything you want. So it would be so easy for that group of guys to just hate his guts just because of him just coming in and all of a sudden being the golden boy. Even though he's clearly not probably as talented at the game as a lot of these guys are. Sure. He's just got the fame behind him. But 
Whether that was the case or not, I don't know, because apparently he was super nice. I heard he bought a really nice bus for them, which makes perfect yeah. sense for himself to begin with. But then why buy a great car or a bus for yourself? Buy it for the team. The guy yeah. had more money than anybody. He probably had more money than that minor league organization yeah. in its entire... Or maybe even the White Sox at the time. Probably. So Because his owner eventually bought them. If he didn't at that point, Jerry Reinsdorf owned the White Sox, maybe still does, owned the White Sox and the Bulls at one time. I don't think he does own the White Sox anymore, but I could be wrong about that. If he lavished his riches on his teammates, I'm sure they loved him for that, if mm-hmm. not for his play on the field. I Who wonder knows? if that is actually based on reality, where the opposing catcher is just kissing his ass. I'm not being funny here. I wonder if that really happened to these people, because this guy is Who more knows? famous than any of them will probably ever be. Even if they get to be Albert Pujols or Mike Trout in baseball, they're still not as famous as the most famous basketball player. Yeah. Maybe the most famous athlete of all time. Muhammad Ali's in that conversation too, but Michael Jordan. Anyway, we've gone way into this. We haven't talked about your oh, beer yeah. yet. Oh, what do yes. you got there? Well, I got a little twofer going today, Ryan. This is one of our, at least in recent weeks, our rare weekend recordings. So I'm going to try to go for the double on today's podcast. Makes sense for a kid's movie. Yeah, you know, <laughs> I needed a lot of alcohol to get through this movie when watching it. I might need an equal amount to get through <laughs> it when talking about it. So I'm going to start out with the Space Invader IPA from Amsterdam that Brewery here in Toronto. And I'm going to finish it up with an old favorite of mine that I think I had when we talked about white men can't jump actually which is mash up or sorry jam up the mash well that makes even more sense actually yeah nice sour beer pale ale kind of thing so a little early for me so I'm still drinking water but toast anyway cheers clank it's a Saturday long weekend here in Canada the Victoria Day weekend record this so don't blame the guy for drinking no blame the movie for my drinking don't blame the guy (laughs) by the way this podcast will be one year old on June 7th which is next week right really I better double check, but I'm pretty sure June 7th. Happy birthday to us. Exactly. Our next episode, though, won't hit the airwaves until June 13th, so we're right in that middle ground. So let's celebrate the anniversary right now by saying, yay us! <laughs> so apart from some technical glitches like the time when I was in Cuba and we couldn't post Longest Yard until Sunday, we haven't missed a week yet. We haven't missed a single episode. We've no. always been every other week. I thought maybe once in a while it'd be, okay, it'll be Friday this week, guys. Hang on a few days for me to get posted. Just as you have to be dedicated to a sport to hit the highest tier, Ryan, you got to be dedicated to the podcast to really hit this level. <laughs> of well whatever level we achieve every every other week helps a lot too i don't have to do every single week all right so space jam was released by warner brothers on november 15th 1996 it wasn't a huge hit in america didn't really make much more than it cost actually because it's a big budget to make a movie like this but worldwide it was a success that's surprising i was probably a little bit too old for this target audience when it came out i would have been 14 or 15 when it launched in the theaters but i remember it being everywhere, marketing-wise. Well, look right there. $80 million budget, $90 million gross in America. But worldwide, yeah. 250 It made the money overall, but not at home. I wonder where that money went. A good portion of it would have gone to the technical aspect. No, the of animation, of the course. The animation. Yeah. Not cheap. Now, let me ask you this. You mentioned the animation. What did you think of the animation on a whole? And I don't mean the interactions between Michael and the cartoons or anything like that. That's a difficult thing to pull off. I, get and I thought it. they did that fine. I thought they did that fine. But the animation itself, this is when they were really starting to play around with computer-generated animations and things Toy like Story that. Toy Story was a year before, and it was the yeah. first ever feature-length computer-animated movie. So even though this wasn't a CGI movie in the same way that Toy Story was... It had that glossy feel, almost Mm. like the same feel that some of those early Futurama episodes, intros, had a glossy animated feel. And while it worked for me in that context, I found it a little bit distracting, the animation, at least as it applied to the Looney Tunes characters, just because you're so familiar with the old style. The flat looking. The flat looking animations, yeah. And they added little tweaks to some of the facial expressions and facial animations when they were going for like a really emotional outburst. I found it slightly off-putting, and it took me Didn't feel right to you? Didn't feel right, yeah. That's fair. 
But, you know, MJ's a real cartoon in this movie anyway. At one point he is cartoon because he does have his arm stretch out and that buzzer beater. <laughs> Which <laughs> I think made a certain amount of sense to me. It's a silly movie. He is in, they don't call it Toontown, but they're playing for the Toon Squad. Yeah. What did they call it? Did I miss where they are? Toon Squad, I think, isn't it? That's where they live, though? Oh, no, where they live, it was just like a WB logo that they passed through. I don't know if they actually named the place. Warnertown. Yeah. It was a cute moment, speaking of the WB logo, at one point, was it when Wayne Knight first meets them? It wasn't when Michael first met them, or maybe it was. When Daffy is explaining who they are, and they are a trademark and licensed piece of property owned by the Warner Brothers Studios, and he like pulls up the WB logo that's stamped on his ass, and yeah. like pointing at it. That Typical Looney Tunes wise-assery. It literally a wise-ass in that instance. The Looney Tunes back in action movie, which was seven years after this, Steve Martin and... I forget who else was in that film, but I think all the main Looney Tunes guys were in that, and that was wise-ass, too. I remember enjoying that movie, even though it wasn't great. And also, they rip on Disney a little bit here and there, including the Mighty Ducks. They said yeah, something about cute. the Ducks. What kind of name is that for a hockey team? That, that was, was a, our first podcast, the Mighty Ducks. In 96. So when did Mighty Ducks come out? 92. 92. So it would have been a few so years. They poke at Disney quite a bit, and that was a Disney film. It was a cute little jab. Did you like the movie, by the way? Did we make that clear? For me, it's a marginal thumbs down, but it's certainly enjoyable. I can see why kids would like it, or basketball fans. Yeah, I could get why kids would like it. Put it this way, I don't want to see it again. Oh, no, I don't want to see it again. This is twice ever, and it was a long time ago I saw it the first time. This will be the end of it. I didn't particularly care for it. I didn't think it leaned heavily enough into the childish antics for it to be super enjoyable by a kid. True. But they also sprinkle in jokes that no kid would ever understand. Like a lot of the Disney rips, when they rip on Disney. Yeah, a lot of the Disney rips, when the five NBA players who've had their talent stolen are going through medical tests and they're talking about MRIs and stuff, no kid is going to know what the heck that means. At one point, Patrick Ewing is being grilled by presumably a sports psychologist, and the psychologist asks him, are you having any difficulties performing in other areas? Wink, wink. And Patrick Ewing looks offended and says, no! No young child is going to understand what the innuendo is there. It wasn't funny to me as an adult. It was an obvious and sad gag. For adults, I didn't think it pulled off many amusing gags, and I didn't see the zaniness that would appeal to kids. This is like one of those movies I was trying to appeal to too many audiences, and mm-hmm. I, I don't think really succeeded terribly well in either one. Toy Story the year before did. Toy Story had some jokes that adults yes. would get better than kids. Plenty of stuff for the kids, too, and they probably tried to piggyback off of that. I was listening to a podcast that shall not be named that was talking about some of the not early Disney movies, but the Disney movies of like the 60s and 70s, they were talking about how straightforward the plot was, how obvious the jokes were, and how they were clearly just aimed at children. And there was no attempt to appeal to adults. It wasn't like, okay, this movie has to appeal to everybody. We want to draw as many people to the theater as possible. No, it was a kid's movie, and it was meant to appeal to kids, and the parents that saw it were only there for the kids. Yeah, right. And I think Toy Story, for at least a period of time, I don't know if it's still the case today, because I don't see a lot of those types of movies anymore, But for at least the last probably 20 years or so, I think they began a trend where kids' movies suddenly had to have sprinkled into them jokes that would appeal to the parents Mm -hmm. so that maybe both parents will go to the theater because they might enjoy it rather than just like one parent looking after the kids. Shark Tale, looking at you. That was always the notorious one for for stunt casting. A lot of famous actors. Okay. I haven't seen that movie in a long time, but people will always say that's the great example of both stunt casting for voice acting and also for having so many jokes that kids would never, ever get. Yeah, and I think the Toy Story franchise has, I think, historically done that pretty well with varying... Well, all of Pixar. Incredibles was fantastic Mm -hmm. for that. I loved Incredibles as like a 23 Mm -hmm. or 24-year-old guy when it came out. I'm sure kids did too. But aside from Pixar... 
I struggle to think of the movies that actually land that double audience. The one that this is probably piggybacking off of more than anything else. It was eight years before. And Bev and I covered it a couple years ago. Uh, Last framed year. Roger Rabbit. Framed Michael Jordan. Yeah. <laughs> Roger Rabbit. Same thing. A mix of animation and live action. And that was done so well. It really was. And it, so much interactive stuff. When you watch the making of, you see how they did and how meticulous it was to make the cartoon, usually Roger, but other cartoons interact with Bob Hoskins and other real actors, but mostly Bob Hoskins. I couldn't not compare the two movies. Who Framed Roger Rabbit? It's a great movie. Mm-hmm. I loved it as a kid. I've seen it a few times as an adult, and I think it holds up. But the animation was great, unlike this movie where it tried to utilize probably more modern technologies to generate it, and it kind of distracted from me. Who Framed Roger Rabbit must have been done largely by hand when they were integrating the cartoons in. It was. The script was a lot better. It was a lot more intelligent. They had enough gags that were funny for kids, but it was still emotional as an adult watching it. It's what this wants to be, but better. And the fact that it exists takes away. Unless you are confident as a filmmaker that you're going to land these two audiences, that you've got the strength of script and production behind you, I don't know why you try. Because because Michael Jordan's available in that window of time. And okay, that's but, it. but make it a kid's movie. He was in cartoons in the early 90s that were on Saturday morning. He would have been well-known to kids. You could have made it just a spectacularly goofy movie. You've got five tiny little aliens that become monsters and just act goofy the whole time. Don't try to appeal to the adults, because when those adult jokes cropped in, I found it, like, fucking distracting. Just to sprinkle in the necessary cursing along the lines of this. uh, It was about fucking time. Yeah, damn right. There are too many cooks in the broth in Hollywood. Right now, and by the time this gets posted, this won't be quite as true, but Avengers Endgame is dominating the box office, and it's setting all kinds of records. It's petering out a little bit now at this point. But that movie... All those movies, for that matter, has one guy heading it. I'm sure he has to answer to somebody, Kevin Feige, that is. Mm-hmm. He has to answer to Bob Iger, who runs Disney, to a degree. But it seems like he's been allowed to make these movies, and he works with the directors, and it seems like he's collaborative in a good way. But maybe Space Jam had 400 authors pared down to 20 authors, and even that's too many. The directors only made two movies. Joe Pitka, I guess I say his name, P-Y-T-K-A. That was the director of Space Jam? Oh, Space Jam, yeah, the director oh, yeah. of this movie, yeah. And his only other one is Let It Ride, with, <laughs> with Richard Dreyfuss in 1989. It's about horses. <laughs> what? Yeah, never heard of the movie before. I never wow. saw it either. The writers, though, there's four writers in this movie. I'm sure there were 24 writers, but there's four credited. Leo Benvenuti, Steve Rudnick, Timothy Harris, and Herschel Weingrod. They're both teams. Benvenuti and Rudnick wrote... The Santa Claus and I think the first sequel, also basically a kids movie, and the first one was a massive hit. And then Harrison Weingrod wrote Trading Places and Twins, and other ones too, but those ones really stand out. So decent writers, but like I said, I bet there's a hundred people that actually wrote this movie. And the producer, Ivan Reitman, who did Draft Day, directed that, mm-hmm. we talked about that only a few weeks ago, Bill Murray says he knows the producer, and of course that's from Ghostbusters, and probably other things, oh. but Ghostbusters especially. <laughs> hey Bill, how did you get here anyway? And I, I know the producer. producer. <laughs> that was a cute line. Bill Murray's always funny. He's not that funny in this because no one is, but he's about as funny as anybody is. Bill Murray, I think, is best described as being endearing in this movie. He doesn't have a ton to work with, but when he pops up, it's cute. I don't think I ever laughed out loud. I I did smile a few times, and that was one of the moments is when he said, I know the producers, and it's kind of like a wink to the audience. One of the other ones that involved... In fact, now that I think about it, most of them probably did involve Bill Murray. He shows up with 10 seconds left in the final game, and... Barely plays, but after the game's over, he's talking to Michael, and he's pouring sweat. (laughs) He's limping around, saying, i got to ice my knees, I'm going to go out on top. That was a good performance by Bill Murray. I don't know if that was his idea or that was the screenwriter's, but whoever came up with it, I thought that was really well done. We have covered Bill Murray in a sports movie this exact same year, one of our first ones. It was Kingpin. 
We did, yeah. And so in that movie, bigger. we talked about that he wouldn't read the dialogue that was written. He would improv constantly. Maybe he's always done that, but he apparently really did on Kingpin. And I can see that being the case in this movie, too. Probably. That was probably and who is problem. Joe Pitka to tell Bill Murray what to do? <laughs> can you imagine that conversation? I am Bill... Fuck, no, not Bill. What's his name? Joe? Joe fucking Pitka. Joe fucking Pitka. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Bill Murray just backs down immediately to the overwhelming star power of Joe Pitka. This is actually one of the most expensive casts you'll ever find, especially in a movie like this. Because of the basketball player's salaries, Larry Bird's in it, never playing basketball, only playing golf with Bill Murray and yeah. Michael Jordan. But what's the list here? Charles Barkley, Patrick Ewing, Muggsy Bogues, or Tyrone Bogues, according to the IMDb, yeah. his real name. Larry Johnson, who I don't remember at all, but I think he was a star back then. And that very tall dude, Sean Bradley, was he seven foot seven or something? He was the tallest player in the NBA at the time. I think he was seven six. I was curious that they chose these players. Guys like Charles Barkley makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. He was definitely a star. So Even was Ewing still? Was Patrick Wayne? Ewing, absolutely. Okay. Even Larry Johnson, this was right towards the end of his stardom days with the Charlotte Hornets when I think... That's who he played for, Charlotte, okay. He went to the Knicks, I think, the next year after this movie came out, but injuries took their toll on him. But guys like Muggsy Bogues, who actually did play for the Raptors for a year or two, and he was a good player, but he was never a star. And certainly Sean Bradley, the tallest guy in the NBA. But but not very good, right? I think his career averages were like six points and four rebounds a game. And you look at the guy, he was probably 7'6 and 150 pounds. He towers with the other guys when we see at the end when they get their powers back. The five of them are standing in a line talking to Michael in the gym in the last couple scenes of the movie. They're all, well, not Muggsy Bogues, but the other five guys, four, whatever. The other guys are really tall. They're taller than you. And he's towering over all of them. <laughs> I'm not that tall, right? <laughs> you're 6'4". 6'4", but... You're not much shorter than Michael Jordan. He's 6'6". Six, 6'6", six. Six, six, yeah. He towers over friggin' Patrick Ewing, who was 6'11", or 7 feet himself. Probably 7 feet, yeah. If you're going to say, okay, five of the NBA stars of 1995-96 had their powers stolen, would you have chosen these five? We talked about probably no. maybe three, two to three of them made sense. It was probably a scheduling situation. It could have been that other guys were... Not that these guys are great actors, although they're game. They do the best they can. Barkley's not that bad, I thought. Maybe he's the best of all of them. It could be that. Maybe other big-name stars wanted to be in this, and they were just terrible actors. It also could be a matter of they just said, I don't care about movies. Leave me alone. It's my summer off. And it may have just been that they're Michael Jordan friends. Magic Johnson had retired, of course. Larry Bird must have retired, too, because he doesn't play any basketball. You think, how do you not get Larry Bird in this in some way? As a player, not just as a golfer. I think he had retired a few years prior to this. He was probably coaching the Pacers at this point, I think, because his back was ruined. There were other players I would have much rather seen rather than, like, a Sean Bradley or... or Well, the Olympic team in 92 was Jordan and Bird and Ewing and Barkley. So four of those guys were Olympians. But that team also had Magic Johnson and Christian Leitner, ironically. (laughs) And who else? I forget all the names now, but they had bigger stars than this. The studio obviously bent over backwards to make this work for Michael Jordan when they were filming it, and this was when he was just recently come back. When it was filming, it would have been, I guess, 95 probably, so just when he was back in the NBA and he was really trying to, or preparing for his return to the NBA. I don't think he was back yet. He came back in March. I remember it was in a fax. I'm back. Yeah, that's so all he wrote. He had to prepare for his return, right? So they apparently built him a custom gym so he could practice mm-hmm. his game. Okay. And one of the famous stories of this movie is that when there was downtime between scenes, it was almost like an all-star game pickup game because the NBA friends of his, Jerry Stackhouse, and the guys in the movie, obviously, but a whole bunch of other famous basketball names would come by and they would just play pickup games on the lot with Michael to help mm-hmm. him get ready for the season. Would have thought there'd been an opportunity for other guys to be in this. I'm happy they chose Charles Barkley if for no other reason than he is a charismatic guy. And I will say, possibly my favorite nickname in all of sport history. Or, I'll let you say it. 
the round mound of rebound. One of the great nicknames. The greatest nickname. I love it so much. And by pro athlete standards, he is kind of fat. But by human standards, he certainly isn't. It certainly oh. is insulting, though. It's definitely a... <laughs> what do you call it? It's a bullying thing to call him oh. round mound. He's only six... I think six six himself. He played power forward, small forward for a lot mm-hmm. of his career. He often averaged over double-digit rebounds. For a guy of his size and his body type in the NBA, mm-hmm. it fit him. It fit the way he played the game. I just freaking love it it's great Barkley and Jordan are two people that I can think of who wanted it so bad Michael Jordan is so incredibly talented but yeah. he wasn't picked number one overall he was picked second overall and it seems stupid now that that's the case but partly because he wasn't quite the player he would become yeah and one thing by the way we said about LeBron James probably there's others but LeBron James in the conversation for greatest of all time Michael Jordan didn't have to try to win with basically nobody because when LeBron left the heat they sucked. When he first left the Cavs, they sucked. He goes back, they win championships or get to championships. He's gone again, they suck again. Yeah. Michael left the Bulls, and they were still good. They didn't win the championship, obviously, but they still had Pippen. They still had, I think, Horace Grant. Later, it'd be Rodman. Mm-hmm. They still had some good players in their team, and they still were successful-ish. Yeah. But the teams LeBron left were not. So clearly, without LeBron, his teams were dog shit, and Michael didn't have to prove that. So that's one argument that those who want to say LeBron's the best of all time will certainly make, and I have to agree with him on that. But I still say Michael is the greatest of all time. LeBron, a couple more years, maybe that's a different story. That is one of the arguments people point to, is the way LeBron just being somewhere elevates that team. And while he didn't quite pull that off this year with the Lakers, there's an argument to be made that LeBron, A, was hurt most of the year, and B, the Lakers were just awful last Mm. year. You can't expect too much. But the flip side of that is the Bulls didn't win until Pippen became a star himself. That's true. MJ was great, but the Bulls weren't. Right. It was the Pistons and maybe even the Celtics in the late 80s that were winning championships. Yeah, both of those And teams. then the Lakers in the other conference. But the East, the Bulls were never getting to the finals until they finally won right. their first championship. So both the Pistons and the Celtics kind of had to have their little drop-off, and Pippen had to have his rise to stardom before the duo of Jordan and Pippen became that dominant force that they'd become for most of the next, what, decade or so? Another guy who wanted it so bad. I remember hearing about this when I followed basketball closer around this time, the mid-'90s, that they were probably, if not the two best, two of the best defenders in the NBA. You don't think of, an, and say, the NHL, which is a very similar sport in some ways the best offensive player, a Wayne Gretzky or whoever the best offensive player is now, being the best defender also. But I think Jordan at least, and maybe Pippen also won Defensive Player of the Year or whatever you call the defensive team of the year, like Gold Glove would be in baseball. Yeah. But I think it's because they were just in such shape and wanted it so bad that it was full court press from those guys almost all the time, or at least when it really needed to be. Yep. Like we talked about in Hoosiers, those guys were trained so well and they were able to outrun everybody else. Seems like Michael and Scotty were the same. Yeah. By the way, we got Wayne the podcast here, and I haven't yet talked about the numbers I usually get to at the beginning. So the critics didn't like this movie very much. 43% of them for an average of 5.32 out of 10. Not good at all. Certainly not a fresh tomato. But it is a fresh tomato with the audiences. 63% from audiences. It's a tomato that is still just barely fresh, but you can see that there's... No, it's a, not at all fresh. There, there's some like, softening happening. No, it I was, mean the audience. Oh, yes, rating. yes. They're just barely fresh. You can eat that tomato. <laughs> A lot of salt. Just, just have to pair off a little bit of the bad bits and get to eat it. Maybe some salt and pepper. It was 18th at the 1996 U.S. box office, despite the fact it was not a huge hit, really, because of the budget. Independence Day was the monster that hit that year. Tin Cup we covered was 28th. Happy Gilmore we covered was 37th. Makes me sad that this outdrew both of those two movies. But that's kids going to see it, probably. And also the appeal of Michael Jordan, and even Bugs Bunny being back on the big screen, although he'd ever been on the big screen. Well, anyway, Bugs Bunny and Daffy Duck and everybody on the big screen. Like we said, this is our first animated movie next week, by the way, or two weeks. We're going to cover a documentary. We'll get to that a little later on. And this movie in Serbia, I like whenever I can find this kind of information, is known as Svamirsky Basket. 
What does that mean? Svamursky must be the space part, and then basket instead of jam. S V E M I R S K I basket. Svamirsky basket. You say it better than I did. I wonder if Vladi Divac helped them translate that for the Maybe Serbian. So. He's in this theory. movie too. That's right. I did love seeing Vladi in this, although it was a little dis. What's the word I'm looking for here? Discombobulating, like disconcerting. Not disconcerting, but it threw me off a little bit to see him in a Lakers uniform because for I thought num- he always played for the Lakers. No, he played for the Sacramento Kings against Kobe and LeBron's Lakers for a oh. number of years. All right, I had forgotten that he was a Laker. Seeing some of the acting performances by the bit players in this, there aren't very many actors in the movie beyond, of course, the tunes. It's the big tunes: Bugs and Daffy and Elmer and Sylvester and Tweety and Yosemite Sam. Lola Bunny, the new character. Yeah. Danny DeVito is the voice of Swackhammer. But then of the human actors, we've talked about Jordan and Bill Murray already and all the other basketball players. His wife, we see one, maybe two scenes, is Teresa Randall, good actress. I think mm-hmm. she was in Malcolm X or something. Bev and I have covered something she did. I think it was Malcolm X. But we really don't see much of her. The kids are not his actual kids, but they use his kids' names. Yeah, Jeffrey, that was weird to me. Jeffrey, Marcus, and Jasmine are actual actors. Maybe, again, like the basketball players that weren't in this movie, maybe those kids, his kids, couldn't act. The kids don't really have to do anything. The kids themselves no. are barely in any scenes. One scene where they roll up in a minivan and basically... To show they're in Birmingham with them. Yeah, and then a scene in the bedroom where he tells them about the game, and then at the end of the movie, and that's three small scenes, basically, I think. And same with his wife. I think she was only in that one scene where they mm. roll up in the minivan, and then at the end of the movie. And Wayne way, Knight, I guess, is the only other real Well, and then Sam, of course. He's got probably the second most screen time of the humans, even more than Murray or Larry Bird or anyone. Bill Murray was good in what he was given to do in this movie, but I think Wayne Knight having more screen time might be the overarching best thing about this movie, in my opinion, anyway. Didn't make you laugh, though, did he? Not really, because he wasn't given a lot to work with, but there's something about Wayne Knight. I can't think of anything I've seen him in where he was bad. Jurassic Park, Scene Stealer, obviously Seinfeld. Yeah, I mean, he's just Newman. He's got that sort of screen charisma about him, and Mm -hmm. even if the material he's working with is bad, his performance is still good. Yeah, he's probably the best actor in this movie other than, well, Bill Murray's better, but Bill Murray's not in it that much. You mentioned Lola Bunny in this, right? This was, I think, her first ever appearance. Did you find it as weird as I did that they played up her sexiness so hard? She shows up and everybody is like, hubba hubba, woo, and she's got the weird short cutoff stuff. Warners would do stuff like that, though, too. Maybe more Tex Avery. The heart coming out of your chest thing and the eyes going away, that's a Tex Avery thing. And we do see something like that in Roger Rabbit, I believe. Well, of course. I mean, Jessica Rabbit is That's right, they, of all time. Wolf or something is hitting himself in the head with a hammer or something in that scene. But anyway, it is a little disconcerting. Let's talk about the can you score at this movie then right now. I hope not considering it's a kid's movie, but if you're like Garth from Wayne's World and you get turned <laughs> on by Bugs Bunny, do you ever get turned on when you see Bugs Bunny dress up like a lady bunny? No. Well, how about Lola Bunny? Yeah. Other than that, this movie should not be turning anybody on. No, I pray to God not. Although at one point, one of the Monstars has their shorts ripped off them by one of the tunes, and you see his shapely, shapely ass. That man has a sculpted behind, right? So maybe I mean, some people could score this movie. You know what? If, Chris is one of them. Well, listen, I'm not going that far. <laughs> now, we know that the Monstars, so they're dubbed that by Sylvester, steal the NBA players' talent, and that's how they get to be huge and get to be good at the game. But in the first place, Bugs challenges tiny aliens much smaller than all of them, and they're not very big either, to a basketball game. Because Bugs was always the overdog. He's Bugs' bully. And I'll say it right now, not so much him, but I'll include him just to make this point. Fuck Tweety Bird and fuck Bugs Bunny. Assholes. Bugs Bunny I like more than Tweety Bird. I never liked the Roadrunner either. What's the Tweety Bird hate? I mean, I don't don't particularly care Cocky little fuck. (laughs) And so is the Roadrunner. 
Bugs not so much. Well, then again, Chuck Jones was not a fan of this movie because he didn't like that Bugs needed help. He should be super Bugs. I don't know if that's what Chuck Jones said, but I'm using that word. He should be a super rabbit. He doesn't need help. Why would he ask for help? That is true. At one point, Bugs gets jacked and huge in this movie. Mm, Performance-enhancing water. Yeah, I mean, if he can do that at will, then why isn't he getting himself bigger and stronger than the Monstars are? He does achieve very little all in all in this movie, does Bugs. Like, he basically gets the tunes on board once or twice throughout the movie. But beyond that, within the context of the basketball and actually winning things for the tunes, doesn't really do much. Now, it is a Michael Jordan vehicle. We talked about that. But is it in keeping with Bugs Bunny as a character, as we all know him to be over the decades of his cartoons? Not really. The tone, maybe, but not... The tone, but not the actions, really. Right, fair. One of the things I did laugh at, I forgot I did laugh once, was when they're introduced, and it's Daffy Duck. When they all come out cheering for everything, Daffy comes out crickets. Oh, (laughs) And I love Daffy. That's funny. But then, I just mentioned he's an asshole. What happens next? Bugs barrels underneath the ground and breaks the floor, because he's an asshole. I think Bugs Bunny is meant to be the quintessential dick, right? Like, <laughs> so what I'm saying, fuck Bugs is. Bunny. And Tweety's worse. Now, you mentioned the five little alien things that the Toons decide to challenge the basketball because they're so tiny. At one point, they mentioned the height, right? When they're announcing the Toons team, and the tallest of them all, aside from Michael Jordan, is Bugs Bunny himself at three foot three. So <laughs> right. it's kind of interesting that they chose basketball. That's a pretty big rabbit. It's a pretty big rabbit. Got some good meat on that bone. I can understand why Elmer Fudd's so out to get him. <laughs> What did you think about those five little aliens? I thought they were four when of them. When they're the little guys or when they're the monsters? No, I mean the little guys. Right? As a concept more than anything, because I know there's a sequel in the making for this. It's supposed to come out in 2021, I think it is, and LeBron will be in that with Barkley again and O'Shea Jackson Jr., so Ice Cube Jr. Uh, yeah, I know LeBron is, I think, the driving force behind it becoming a thing again. I mm-hmm. think he's producing it as well as being probably the Michael character in the movie. Oh, it's got to be, yeah. So I assume that the five little aliens will be back, the monsters will be back in some way, shape, or form. Roll the Danny DeVito character into this as well, mm. if you want to. He's uh, the real villain. He's the real villain, of course. And those five little guys are just his lackeys who are essentially bullied into doing this because, like they say at the end, he's bigger than us. But, of course, at that point, he's not. Four of the five I was okay with. The fifth one, the stoner character. What the hell are you actually going for with this character? Yeah. Well, none of the little kids watching this would understand that he is meant to be stoned and he's not nearly funny enough to appeal to anybody older than eight years old. What in the holy hell was that meant to be? I saw the movie about a week ago, maybe a little bit more, and I don't remember what you're even talking about right now. It's the guy that becomes Sean Bradley, the little blue guy who's always dopey and clearly high. That's probably a play on the fact that he even says about going on a mission because he was a Mormon, probably still is, a Mormon. So maybe you make him be the pothead when he's the monster. He's Sean Bradley a Mormon? That's what I was reading. No kidding. Because he says when he's on the psychiatrist's couch about he needs to go on some kind of mission or something like that. Gotta... I didn't connect those dots. Nobody, unless you're an adult who's really into 90s basketball, would probably <laughs> even get. That connects a few dots. Well, we mentioned me. Roger Rabbit a few times in this podcast, and that movie gets pretty risque, and they somehow make it work, because I think kids like that movie. Well, Bev talked about being a huge fan of it as a young kid. She was about yeah. 10 when it came out. She was probably 11 or 12, unless she saw it in the theater. Anyway, she was a kid. I didn't see it until I was an adult, 20 or 22. Oh, did you not see it in its original run? No. No, it would have been on DVD. Well, actually, probably videotape in the mid-90s. But anyway, that movie somehow made it work, and yet there's some risque stuff in there, especially Jessica Rabbit. That movie came out when I was seven years old, and I saw it probably when it launched on VHS, so let's say Mm -hmm. 89, I was eight. I loved it then, even though the Christopher Lloyd character scared the ever-loving shit out of me. It's weird to say, but the notion of a cartoon boot being slowly tortured and dipped into goo and killed really freaked me out. It was horrifying. 
But even as an eight-year-old boy, young Chris really had a thing for Jessica Rabbit. I got to admit. Oh yeah, they drew her hot. They drew her hot. If we were doing that movie right now, asking the score question, then oh yes, you can. It is possible. You can thread that needle. But it's hard to do. You need someone better than Joe Pitka to do it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Joe Pitka did not have the dexterity to really thread that particular Who directed Roger Rabbit? Robert Zemeckis, one of the great technical directors of all time. Right there with his mentor Spielberg of being able to mix genres sometimes, but certainly, well, maybe not so much Spielberg, but a guy who can make funny movies like Forrest Gump that also have all kinds of technical stuff on them. And the sound and the music and everything comes together. He's so good at all that stuff. Back to the Future, one of my favorite movies of all time, has some of those same elements. And then, of course, Roger Rabbit. And other things like Contact. We go through his whole resume. He makes movies that are pretty impersonal now. But what he did in the 80s and 90s, he would have been the guy they should have hired to direct this. But I'm sure he cost too much. Or maybe he wasn't available. Maybe. I wonder if Joe Pitka might have been the guy that did the commercials. Maybe he was a commercial director. The other aspect of this that might be lacking in this movie, but they got right in Roger Rabbit, was the performances by the human leads. As good as I think we both agree that Wayne Knight probably is in this movie and can be generally. Mm -hmm. Bob Hoskins and Christopher Lloyd both do spectacular jobs at what they're asked to do. Christopher Lloyd, for me personally, is a little bit hit and miss depending on his role. Mm. But just like Back to the Future, he nailed what he needed to be in that movie. I thought he nailed that in Roger Rabbit. I think we can both easily agree that Michael Jordan, being a basketball player, not an actor, doesn't really quite bring that same aspect. No, he's not as talented as Bob Hoskins or other guys you just said. But I actually thought he was going to be worse. Because I haven't seen this movie in so long, and I expected him to be more goofy, campy, and kind of annoying. I didn't think he was. I thought he did okay. He's only ever made two actual movies. He's been in lots of things, I think, as himself. Certainly, you look on his resume on IMDb, and there's tons of TV stuff. But as far as movies, the only other one was Year 3000, which was just last year, where he also played himself. What? What is Year 3000? Look it up here. I was looking this up last week. Hey! There it is, see? Year 3000. Yeah, look at that. I'm going to use this opportunity to just uh, The second beer? Two. All right. Animation adventure. So it's an animated movie. Animation. Also, he's voicing something, presumably. Oh, he's yeah. voicing himself. <laughs> yeah, he's playing himself again. Well, that already came out. I don't remember anything. It was last January, 2018. So I don't know anything about it, but there you go. We mentioned LeBron's doing the remake. I think there may be a little bit of jealousy there. Michael got to make a movie. Now I get to, too. But also, Shaq had made Blue Chips, or at least been in Blue Chips mm-hmm. in 1994, and he was in Kazam this same year. So I wonder if maybe Mike was jealous of Shaq having that kind of success because he's not in this movie but he was a star by that point and I don't remember Blue Chips very well it's a movie we might cover one day Blue Chips I actually liked pretty good sports movie yeah. yeah from LeBron's perspective that guy I think probably has more acting chops than any of them Oh, he's great in Trainwreck. He's yeah. hilarious in that movie. I don't think there's any question that the guy's got personality and he's got charisma about him, but he can actually act a little bit too. Mm. He's funny. When he retires, if he decides to be an actor, I have faith he'll be a good one. He could be. Maybe even do dramas, but he definitely can do comedy. The other actors I want to mention before we wrap, Patricia Heaton and Dan Castellaneta, so the voice of Homer and the wife and everybody was Raymond. <laughs> They're the people at the basketball game you see briefly sitting together. At Madison Square Garden. Yeah. I recognize Patricia Heaton, and mm-hmm. I recognize the face of Dan Castellaneta. He does not to... use the Homer voice, though. He has so many voices. He didn't sound like himself at all. Well, maybe his regular voice, but not any of his famous Simpsons voices. I wonder if that was a cute little jab at New York in the 90s and Madison Square Garden, because one of the lines that Patricia Heaton has, and that is, I thought you were going to get us better seats this year. The guy next to me, and of course it's the little alien guys in their trench coat. Right. Like he's doing something weird under his coat. Is the implication oh, that, probably, yeah. that New York was just riddled with perverts Another and weirdos gag. in the 90s? The kids would not get but anyway these two are parent icons on tv in the 90s and yeah. well long after that now for homer simpson but homer simpson and i forget her name but deborah 
Deborah Romano, that's her name in the show. Yeah, Everybody, a show I hated with a passion. I never really watched it. We often talk about the portrayal of sport. How does the movie... It's ridiculous in this movie. Of course. I was racking my brain. How do we talk about that within the context of this movie? When Bugs Bunny convinces the aliens that it's in the rule book that you have to give us a chance to defend ourselves, and we're going to do that by playing basketball against two tiny aliens, and they become the... 20-foot-tall monsters by stealing NBA players' talents. Their performance-enhancing magic. I don't even know how you discuss basketball as a sport in the context when of When the game yeah. starts, the Toon Squad reminded me a lot of the ball club in One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest when they play basketball, and Danny DeVito, who's in that movie, gets the ball, looks around, and whips it into the fence. <laughs> I think somebody does that in this movie, don't they? Daffy does. He whips it at the old cartoon lady on the bench because she was so wide So maybe open. it's a play on Cuckoo's Nest, which Could DeVito be. is in. Can't they be at least moderately talented at the game? They're already way outmatched size-wise. Yeah. yeah, they have Michael Jordan, but yeah, the basketball in this is dreadful. You know what it reminded me of? And it was contemporary to this movie. Do you remember the video game NBA Jam? Yeah. So it was essentially, I think it was a two-on-two or three-on-three basketball game. You picked an NBA player, and you could basically jam from the other end of the court. It was just dunk, 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 back and forth. That's what this reminded me of. Yeah. It was just dunk, 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 back and forth. And leaving aside even the game that decided the tune's fate, once the NBA players are given their talents back, Michael brings the glowing ball to them and they all touch it, and Patrick mm-hmm. Ewing and friends, they get their talents back. And the way the movie demonstrates that is by having them all, well, not all of them, I think it was just Larry Johnson, Patrick Ewing, and Sean Bradley, they just go up for really unimpressive dunks. <laughs> but they couldn't even do that before, I guess that's the point. I guess. Could you not show us a little bit more of a display? I guess Muggsy Mug Bogues dribbles. does dribble between mm-hmm. his legs. Then that was the only part of that that was at all impressive. Like Even Sean Bradley doesn't even have to leave his feet to dunk. He's so bloody tall. Mm-hmm. He sort of reaches in and puts the ball in the bucket. I was really disheartened with how little basketball was actually Well, it's not a good movie. sports movie. One of the reasons we covered it is because when you first talked to me about doing this podcast a little over a year ago, you wanted to cover certain movies, and this was on your list. It is, or it was. When we first talked about doing this, and it's kind of fitting that this is approaching the one-year anniversary of this, that we touch on this subject, my initial inspiration for it was I wanted to re-watch a lot of those childhood movies that touched on sports. And we've done some, like Karate Kid, that are tangentially sport, as we think about it in North America. But, you know, those childhood movies that I have a lot of fondness for, that I haven't seen in like 20 years. And let's see, is it actually a good movie, or did I just like it because I was a kid and I was dumb? This might be the best example of... You were a kid. I was a kid and I was dumb. So you did like it as a kid then? I did. I had fondness for it. Even though it came out when I was like 14 or 15 years old, I remember watching it and thinking it was kind of cool. And maybe it was because in the 90s I was a huge Michael Jordan fan. I don't have an explanation for it, but watching it now as a cranky 38-year-old guy, I I really struggled to get through it. Despite the fact it's impressively made technically... In some ways, it's also slapdash. Maybe that's the problem. And it's definitely got a tonal problem, as we've said more than once. Oh, I think that's it. If you watch it as an adult, there are certain things that are just jarring to me, and tone is one of them. The soundtrack actually worked for me, and this had You believed you could fly. I had no idea that apparently R. Kelly made... That song was for this movie. Robert. (laughs) Robert. Robert. (laughs) That was really creepy. (laughs) Well, Gail King in the interview with him a couple months ago when he was losing his mind. Yeah, you really look innocent there, R. Kelly, when you're yelling at a TV yeah. reporter. Uh, yeah, they're out to get me. That was for this movie. This it goes to the original song, the Why was a non nominee for the Oscars, because it's a good song, and it's actually in the movie. It's not just in the end credits. I think it's in the opening part of the movie or something. I know, yeah, I'm know. i pretty sure I heard it when you see the kid in the beginning, the young Michael. 
it shows up in the opening credits, the end credits, and I think there was a scene in the movie itself that it pops up as well. Okay. And the soundtrack for this went multi-platinum, I think. It was a, a, it was a huge hit. So there's aspects of it that are successfully done, but all in all, what the holy hell is this movie trying to be? It's like, a failure, yeah. It's one of our worst movies, I would say, overall. Like I said, I have no interest in seeing it again. The Mighty Ducks, if it's ever on TV and I have nothing else to do, I would maybe watch that again, even though I was a thumbs down on that, too. But this movie, no, I'm going to skip right past it. There was enough unintentional yeah. goofiness. I had enough fun watching it. Some emotions, too. The payoff with Charlie Sheen, not Charlie Sheen, with Emilio Estevez and the guy who plays Charlie. Joshua Jackson, I think is his name. Anyway, the payoff with those two. That really helped. This movie doesn't have any of that kind of payoff. Maybe that's it. Maybe this fact I didn't give a single shit about what was mm. going on. Like Michael Jordan goes back to the NBA and becomes a star again. I guess at the end of it all, there is potential risk for Michael Jordan himself because he makes that secondary bet that we talked about. You bet, know, bet, 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 yeah, bet, 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 bet. Where he will also become a slave at Moron Mountain if they lose. But most of the time, it was all, okay, what's going to become of the Looney Tunes? And I didn't give a damn, because the mm. way they portrayed those Looney Tunes, they just came off as assholes for the most exactly. part. Exactly, they're the overdog. The Looney Tunes are always assholes. If you watch the old cartoons, they are, but there's a character about them that was totally lacking in this movie. And they were funnier in the cartoons than they are in this movie. They absolutely were, yeah. How was that first and now second beer? First beer was a quality IPA, Ryan. We're moving on to the palate cleansing second beer and just trying to drain away any... Residual memory. So very drinkable on a Saturday. <laughs> drinkable on a Saturday afternoon. Yeah, absolutely. My water's been very drinkable, also. All right, so the NBA finals are supposed to begin today. I looked on NBA.com just before we started recording here, and it still says should be the first game of the finals between at this point Milwaukee and Golden State. But those series are not over yet. Come on, Ryan, you're from Toronto. You got to have faith. Anyway, we record these early. We always do. We can't record them the day of. What is this? Russia? <laughs> <laughs> Whoa, wait, what? In Soviet know. Russia podcast <laughs> records you <laughs> on day of. I can't help but notice, by the way, that your bottle of water has a label on it that says Ryan's Secret Stuff. Is that the secret to your baseball playing prowess that you've been withholding from me all this time? Guys, it was just water. The secret stuff was in you all the time. (laughs) More cliches. Okay, in two weeks we'll cover something that we likely won't ever cover again. Wheelchair Rugby. As we review the 2005 documentary Murderball. Which this man has not seen, and I think he's going to like it. I've never... I haven't even heard of it, right? I haven't I heard you? of this documentary. We never really talked about doing documentaries, but I'm really interested to see what this is all about, just because it is such a unique subject. Wheelchair Rugby. That movie a, does have some good arcs and some good emotions in it. I'm looking forward to it. I didn't know Wheelchair Rugby existed. I, I didn't either until I heard about the documentary. Well, actually, this sport should be called... I shouldn't say Wheelchair Rugby. It's Quad Rugby. And then Murder Ball is the nickname they gave it. It was long before the movie came out, I think it was called Quad Rugby. Because all four of their limbs have been either paralyzed or they're affected. What? Yeah. They they can play rugby. Well, these guys have the ability to use their hands, but they don't have full use of their hands. I'm even more interested now. Some of these guys have hands that they can't fully close. Okay. Forks and knives and pencils or the ball. But they have the ability to use them in some way. Some guys, actually one guy, doesn't even have arms or legs. You're going to love that plays rugby he has these extension things i think it is i haven't seen the movie in quite a long time i forget i think his name is bob you've piqued my interest you were gonna like this movie i think it is murder ball yep okay we're on of course top on our project.com the website always on apple podcasts spotify and now finally and this has already been true anyway but this is the first podcast where i can say this we're on stitcher i finally got us on there so if you want to listen to us and of course the one with bev we're on Stitcher for all of those. Every one of our episodes got uploaded pretty fast, actually. The day I did, I looked. At first, they weren't, and then suddenly, everything is there. So it was really cool. Now that I have moved, eventually I'll sort out a Scoring at the Movies website, Ryan. We've got the domain. It's just the actual work that has to happen. And we'll branch off from the Top Nerd Project and lower my 
bandwidth from that one. I guess. <laughs> Take her easy, dudes. I know that you will. I should have said that's all, folks, shouldn't I? Now I'm saying that's all, folks.